blood-tingling tales, the complete series. All five volumes of blood-tingling tales bundled into one convenient collection. Only $2.99 or free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Search for Blood Tingling Tales Complete Series on Amazon or go to maniacontheloose.com slash books. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. The Haunted Apartment In the middle of a major city is a high-rise apartment building. The apartments within the building are in demand and cost a pretty penny. There's a long waiting list of people hoping to snatch up one of the coveted apartments if any become available. Every apartment in the complex is currently occupied, except for one. One apartment in the building is always vacant, and it's priced ridiculously cheap compared to the other apartments. So why is such an inexpensive apartment in such a sought-after location always vacant? Because it's haunted. Or so they say. I had been bitching and moaning about how difficult it was for me to find an apartment in the city that didn't cost an arm and a leg. A colleague of mine was sympathetic to my situation and was aware of the so-called haunted apartment. He explained to me that no tenant had ever remained within the apartment for more than three days before vacating in terror. Evidently, renting the apartment had become such a hassle that it isn't even advertised anymore. The fully furnished apartment is simply left unoccupied. I'm a confident, successful businessman in my late 40s, and I don't believe in ghosts. I'm the kind of guy who needs beyond a shadow of a doubt proof before he accepts something as fact. So, if this apartment that was rumored to be haunted actually existed at the price my friend quoted, I wanted it. I knew someone who was acquainted with the owner of the building. He set up a meeting for me with the apartment manager. The apartment manager was a man named Mr. Price. He was an elderly gentleman, handsomely dressed in a suit that was not off the rack. He walked slightly stooped over, but got around just fine. He was a direct fellow. He certainly didn't mince words. The apartment is haunted. I chuckled and explained that I didn't believe in ghosts. Neither did I. He confirmed that the rumor of no one ever staying in the apartment for more than three days was a fact. And of course, the majority of people who left so quickly wanted their deposits back. 
The entire process became such a nuisance that they stopped renting it as an apartment and began renting it by the night, much like a hotel room. That didn't work either. Most guests didn't last the night and would demand their money back. The entire thing became such an aggravation that they ultimately decided it was best simply to leave it unoccupied. The story was intriguing, but I didn't believe it for a second. There was nothing scary about the building. My image of a haunted location is something old, decrepit, and terrifying. This building was none of those things. Or so I thought. While the building appears to be modern, I was slightly surprised to find that it was built in the 1940s. Mr. Price took me to the 16th floor of the 22-story building. The apartment in question was at the end of the hall, room 1600. I watched as Mr. Price drew in a deep breath and held the key up against the doorknob. His hand was shaking. He was genuinely frightened. Eventually, he was able to insert the key and open the door. We stepped a few feet inside the apartment, and I must admit that I startled slightly when the door slammed behind us. I crinkled my eyebrows in confusion as I looked down at Mr. Price. Is there a draft in the apartment? Mr. Price stared at me with total seriousness as he spoke. It doesn't want us here. I shrugged this off and strolled through the apartment without further incident. It was an unassuming apartment, simple living room with a connected kitchen, a small hall that led to a bathroom and bedroom. While it was nothing special, it was perfect for me. A simple, easy-to-maintain furnished apartment in a prime location of the city. I'll take it. The arrangement I had to agree to was first month's rent in advance and a non-refundable security deposit. I also had to sign paperwork stating that if I vacated the premises for any reason, I would not sue them. It was clear that they didn't expect me to stay long. I agreed to the terms and moved into the apartment immediately. Day... One. I moved in on a Sunday and had no issues at all during the day. Everything was fine, and after putting away my clothes and a few personal items, I settled in. I spent the majority of the day and night staring out the window at the beautiful city skyline. Then I went to bed. I was sleeping well, but when you get to be in your late 40s, it's common to have to make a few more trips to the bathroom during the night. One of the many joys of getting older. Bathroom trips one and two were uneventful, so I'll spare you the details. It was the third trip that something unusual occurred. After using the bathroom, I stepped to the bathroom doorway and turned off the bathroom light. Then I froze. With the bathroom light off, the only lighting in the room was cast from the full moon shining through my window. It illuminated things enough that I could see subtle details of my bed. And there was somebody in it. I could make out the body. It was completely concealed by blankets, but the outline of the body was clear. There was no mistaking that there was somebody in my bed. I quickly flicked the bathroom light on so I could see better, and suddenly the bed was normal again. 
there was nobody there. I turned the light off again. If the body appeared again in the moonlight, my plan was to approach it and touch it. I'd confirm that it was nothing more than an optical illusion of some sort. However, when I turned the bathroom light off, and the bed was enveloped by the moonlight, it was clear that the bed was empty. The figure that I had previously seen was now gone. I slept the rest of the night with the lights on. Day 2 Monday morning in the apartment was uneventful, but I can't say the same about when I returned home from work that night. As I walked into the apartment and hung my coat on the coat rack, I heard distinct whispering coming from the bedroom. It was a single voice speaking in rhythmic tones, perhaps chanting. Hello? As soon as I spoke, the whispering stopped. I rushed to my bedroom to make sure nobody was there. I looked in the closet, under the bed, but nothing. No one was there. Later that night I was watching football and had the volume up high. When the game was over and I turned off the TV, I heard unmistakable laughter. It was a deep, hollow laugh. Sinister. Evil. It was coming from the bedroom. Again, I hurried to the bedroom only to find nothing. However, the room was frigid. I checked the thermostat and the heat was running, but the room was ice cold. I went back to the living room and watched a little more television. During a quick, silent break in between the TV program and a commercial, I heard the creak of a footstep behind me. I turned around and saw nothing. I muted the TV and listened. After a few moments, I could hear footsteps coming from the bedroom. I stood and walked to the hallway. The bedroom door was open and for a fleeting second, I swear I saw a tall, looming silhouette. I blinked and it was gone. Now, it's possible my eyes were playing tricks on me, but I was sure of what I saw. That night, while I lay in bed, I was awakened by something other than my bladder. I woke to hot breath on the back of my neck as though someone were sleeping, cuddled up behind me. I turned, and nobody was there. I got up and slept the rest of the night on the couch. Day 3 When I woke up that Tuesday morning, the front door to my apartment was open. I closed it, had a quick bite to eat, got dressed for the day, and headed for the front door to leave only to find it open again. It was as though something was inviting me to leave. I had to work late that day. When I got back to the apartment that night, I entered and the entire place felt heavy. Almost like what you would feel on a hot, humid summer day, only the room wasn't hot. It was cold. Work was hard that day and I was exhausted. I had a quick dinner, watched a little bit of TV, and went to bed. I woke up in the middle of the night for a bathroom run. When I was finished and was washing my hands, I literally jumped when I looked up into the mirror at my reflection. Only, it wasn't my reflection. It was someone else's. I was staring at a ghoulish man with a long, slender face, 
His black hair was long and stringy. He was smiling at me sadistically. I rubbed my eyes and opened them again, and this time it was my own reflection I was staring at. As rattled as I was by this, I was so tired. I opted to worry about that the next day and crashed down onto the bed. A few hours later, I awoke again. I turned over in bed and reached my arm out. My eyes opened wide in horror as I felt my arm draped over a body lying next to me. I slowly moved my hand over the body. I could feel warmth emitting from it. I began exploring the contours of the body with my hand to ensure it wasn't simply a combination of a pillow and my imagination running wild. And it wasn't. It was a naked body. I could feel thick hairs on the skin and the bony ribs. And then all at once, the body sprang to life, rolled over on top of me and pinned me down. I tried with all of my strength to break free, but whatever had me was too strong. I couldn't budge. I could not see my attacker. It was an invisible force, but I could feel its skeletal hands wrapped around my wrists. I could feel its hot breath against my face. I could feel its long hair brushing against me. I screamed as I fought against it, and I could hear it chuckle as it toyed with me. It was amused by my fear. Finally, I broke free. I bolted out of the apartment and never even returned for my belongings. The First Date from Hell I had exchanged a few messages with a man on a dating website. We weren't far along in the conversation when he suggested we meet up at a nearby restaurant. I didn't know this man much at all. I didn't even know what he looked like, but decided to take him up on his suggestion. A public place like a restaurant was a safe enough spot, and who knows? Maybe he'd be the one. I was supposed to meet him at a restaurant called Italian Delight at 6.30 p.m. We were to meet at the bar. When I showed up at 6.20, the bar was empty, which was fine. It meant I was early. I ordered a glass of wine and waited. When 6.30 rolled around, he still wasn't there. Nor was he at 6.40 or 6.50. No, it was 6.58 when he strutted in arrogantly. He was wearing dress pants and a white shirt that was half unbuttoned, revealing his hairy chest and gold medallion necklace. He pointed at me with both fingers. Carla? I nodded. Ted? <laughs> In the flesh. Ted, I thought we said 6.30. Yeah, we did. I'm just running a little late. Well, you could have messaged me to let me know. I've been waiting. He proceeded to respond to me in a baby talk voice. Aww, were you worried about little old me? <laughs> he cackled and I could smell alcohol on his breath. He then hollered out to the bartender. Hey barkeep, give me a bourbon and make it snappy. Once he got his drink, he took a hefty swig and grinned at me in a mischievous way. Let's get a table, huh? 
He turned and started shouting at every employee in the restaurant. Hey, we need a table for two. Come on, how long do we have to wait? I was mortified by his behavior. To the host's credit, she moved swiftly and seated us at a quiet table in the back. Ted stared at me for a long while. You look a lot like my ex. I was amazed at the amount of first date rules this guy was breaking right off the bat. Oh, I do? Yeah, except she had much prettier eyes. He then stared down at my breasts. And she wasn't afraid to show off some cleavage. You got a nice rack. You shouldn't dress so conservatively. Don't be shy about showing off your stuff. Before I could respond to his extremely inappropriate comment, the waiter arrived. Ted immediately laid into him. Well, it's about time. You see this glass of bourbon here? If you ever let it get empty, you get no tip. Capiche? Yes, sir. I watched as the waiter hurried to the bar to inform the bartender of Ted's commands. Ted wasn't impressed. I can tell the service here is gonna suck the big one. He took another swig of his bourbon and then turned his attention to me. So, Carla, tell me all about you. I want to know everything. I'm genuinely interested. And I'm not just saying that because I'm hoping to get laid tonight. <laughs> he let out a hearty chuckle but instantly recognized that I was not amused. Oh, what's the matter? You don't have sex on the first date? I answered sternly, no. Ted licked his lips. <laughs> Good. I like a challenge. The waiter showed up and took our order. Ted then turned his attention back to me. Hey, I wasn't kidding when I said I was interested in getting to know you better, so go on, tell me your life story. Just as I opened my mouth, his phone rang and he instantly held up a finger to shush me as he looked at the number and then answered the phone. Hey Phil, what's up? No, I'm on a date. Eh, first date at that. Oh, she seems okay, a little bit shy. And she sure could use a hell of a lot more makeup, but I wouldn't kick her out of bed. <laughs> uh, listen, I'll give you a call later. He had the nerve to turn his attention back to me as though I hadn't just overheard his indiscreet phone call. I apologize for the interruption. Now, where were we? Oh, yeah, you were, uh, you were gonna tell me about yourself. Um, yeah, so go ahead. I shrugged. Well, I don't really know where to start. Well, how old were you when you lost your virginity? My jaw dropped, although I shouldn't have been surprised by any more lewd behavior at that point. When our food arrived, Ted immediately started wolfing down his spaghetti. He slopped the pasta around in his mouth and chewed with his mouth open. I couldn't take any more. Hey, Ted, I want you. Now. He instantly stopped chewing and smirked. Oh, yeah? I flashed a seductive smile. Drive around to the back alley. I'll meet you there. He launched from his seat, wiping his filthy mouth with a napkin. He began dashing toward the front door, but then stopped and walked back to the table while pointing at the food. You're paying for dinner, right? I let out a short laugh. Why was I surprised? Yes, Ted, it's on me. With that, he hurried out the front door. I walked to the back alley and he was waiting in his car as instructed. I got into the passenger seat. Ted had already removed his pants and underwear, 
revealing that he was fully ready for a sexual encounter. When he lurched for me, I held up my hand. Hold on. I began reaching into my purse. Oh hell, you're not gonna make me wear a rubber, are you? I smiled. Of course not. I removed the syringe from my purse, quickly stuck the needle in his neck, and pressed down on the plunger. He was unconscious before he ever knew what happened. I removed a hammer from my bag and beat a small hole in Ted's skull. From there, I proceeded to insert a straw into Ted's head and sip up all of his brain fluid, the true essence of life. I look like I'm in my late 20s, when in reality, I'm over 50. Not many people are aware that there is a fountain of youth. It's inside your head. Literally. It keeps me young. I do this once a month. I get on the dating website and make a date with somebody. I prefer for them to be obnoxious jerks. It makes the task of killing them easier to live with. For Ted, this was the first date from hell. For me, it was perfect. The Bra Salesman My boyfriend has a bra fetish. He just loves seeing new and exciting styles, fashions, fabrics, and colors. So I try to keep things fresh for him, and I buy a lot of different bras. Bralettes, plunge bras, peekaboo bras, contour bras, strapless, lacy, chiffon, leather, silk, pasties, push-ups, I have them all. And I'm always shopping for more. The more unique they are, the better. There's a rather large lingerie shop near the mall in my town. It has a wide selection of undergarments and is constantly getting new items in. I stop by there at least once a week to see if they have anything new and exciting. It was a Friday, early afternoon. I had gotten off work early, so when I arrived at the store there was nobody around. No customers, and I didn't notice any employees either. They were probably in the back room. It didn't matter, I was just browsing and I didn't need any salesperson to assist me. I was looking over a variety of sheer, seamless bras when a man approached me. He was of average height and appeared to be in his early 50s. He was well dressed and had graying, wavy hair. He had a pleasant way about him and was all smiles. 38B? I looked up at the smiling man. Uh, excuse me? I guess he could tell by my expression that I thought his approach was out of line and he immediately explained himself. Sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm a salesman here. I have a knack for being able to tell sizes. Oh. I still thought it was a weird way to approach a customer, but the fact that he was an employee put me at ease, and he was spot on about my bra size. Is there anything I can help you with today? I shook my head. No, I'm just browsing. Okay, great. If you need anything, just give me a holler. I'll be over by the register. Thank you. He started walking away and then quickly spun around and walked back to me. 
By the way, are you a reward member? No, I didn't even realize you offered something like that. It's brand new, and anybody who signs up gets $50 off their first order of more than $100. Wow, really? Yes, I'll get you signed up when you check out, and you can apply it to your order today. That was a great deal, and it doesn't take much to surpass $100 in a lingerie store, so that wasn't going to be a problem. Once I picked out my items, I went to the register and was greeted by the smiley man. Can I get your name, address, and phone number, please? I'll get your rewards card printed up right now. I gave him the information. He jotted it down, excused himself, and disappeared into the back room. After a few minutes, he re-emerged. If you come on back here, I'll snap your picture and give you your card. This seemed a little odd to me. Snap my picture? Yes, your picture will be on the back of your rewards card. It'll only take a minute. This was sounding like a lot of trouble, and normally I would have just declined, but I had that $50 savings on my mind and figured the inconvenience would be worth it. He held his smile as he stood by the backroom door and waited for me. As I took a few steps toward him, I heard a loud feminine scream emitting from beyond the backroom door. Help! Somebody help me! For the first time, I saw the smile disappear from the bra salesman's face and it was replaced with an expression of shock and fear. Shit! The startled bra salesman shoved past me and bolted out of the store. My mind was racing, trying to comprehend what just happened, and then refocused when I heard another scream from the back room. Help! Help! I rushed into the back room toward the anguished cries for help. I froze, stunned at the sight before me. There were five women gagged and bound. They were only wearing bras and panties. It turns out the man wasn't a bra salesman at all. He was just some freak who came into the store and took the employees hostage in the back room. He then used the rewards card ploy on every customer who came in that day to lure them into the back room. When he'd get them there, he'd overpower them, strip them down to their underwear, and tie them up. Fortunately for me, one of the victim's gags had come loose and she was able to scream out before I became another pawn in this sick man's game. The creepiest thing for me was that the man had my name, address, and phone number. Well, that was the creepiest thing for me until tonight when I opened up my mailbox and found a 38B sized bra inside with a note attached that read, I hope to assist you again very soon. From the mind of a maniac, eight horror stories that are interconnected either significantly or slightly and are all bundled into one gigantic collection. That's right, you get eight books for the price of one. Maniac on the Loose, The Nine Lives of Ski Mask, The Craving, The Caretakers, It Lives in the Attic, Goat Sucker, Spirit Stalkers, Hell is Full. All eight books for the price of one. Go to Amazon and search for 
from the mind of a maniac or go to maniacontheloose.com slash books. The Campsite I live off the beaten path in the middle of the woods. I mean, I do live on a road. It's gravel, but it's a road. And I do have neighbors. The nearest one is about a quarter of a mile away. Another half mile past them is another one, and so on. Our neighborhood is smack dab in the middle of a thick, deep forest. This is great for me because I love to go camping. Whereas most people have to load up a truckload of camping gear, drive hours to a location, unload, and then hike a few miles, I get to skip most of that stuff. A two-mile hike down a trail that starts at my backyard takes me to the most beautiful campsite I've ever been to. The area is canopied with trees, but there's a large barren section that leads right up to the edge of a breathtaking, roaring river. It's the perfect spot to pitch a tent and start a nice campfire. I fish during the day, eat my catch at night, and relax under the stars. I have a girlfriend named Jill. She's not into camping. Now, you would think that would be a deal breaker for me, but she's totally fine with me going off camping by myself, so because of that, she's a keeper. I had a weekend of camping planned and Jill was going to stay at my house while I was a couple miles away at my campsite. This was common. I think she liked having full control of the television for an entire weekend. I can be a bit of a remote control hog. My dog Pippet would usually join me during the first half of my camping trip and then get bored with me and go back home to Jill. Seriously, this was a situation that worked out good for all involved. As I left the house and began to strap on my backpack, I noticed that Pippet seemed uneasy. He kept running up to the start of the trail and would sniff around obsessively while whining. At first I thought maybe a rabbit had been there recently, but he didn't seem excited. His tail was between his legs. He appeared to be scared. As Jill stepped out of the house to kiss me goodbye, she said that she smelled something odd in the air. Honestly, I hadn't even noticed until she mentioned it, but after taking a few hefty sniffs, she was right. It was a musky, rancid odor. A cross between wet dog, rotten pine, ammonia, and urine. The scent was unusual, but didn't deter me from camping, not for a second. I kissed my girlfriend goodbye and ventured down the skinny path that would lead me to my campsite. Oddly enough, Pippet only went about a hundred feet down the path with me until he stopped and started barking ferociously. This was unusual for him. Something had him spooked and he wouldn't go any farther. I carried on until his barks eventually disappeared into the distance behind me. I was about halfway to the campsite when I noticed a rather large pile of scat in the middle of the trail. I'm not kidding when I say large. I assumed it was probably from a bear. Occasionally black bear have been seen in this area, but not often. Once I got closer, I ruled out bear as a possibility. The scat I was observing appeared to be more human-like than bear. And there was a lot of it. Like, multiple people squatted down and did their business in the same spot. 
I mean, I wouldn't put that kind of piggish behavior past some people, and I wasn't the only one to hike and camp in these woods, so this was possible and actually seemed like the most likely conclusion. As I continued, I startled when I heard the sound of a large twig breaking in the distance behind me, followed by rustling of bushes. I turned around and didn't spot anything. I assumed it was probably Pippet catching up to me, so I called out, Pippet! Here, Pippet! And there was no response. I turned and continued down the trail, but I have to say, I had the distinct nervous feeling that I was being watched. I was just a few minutes away from my campsite when I noticed several thick limbs on a nearby tree that were all twisted and bent. And I'm not talking about twigs, I'm talking about branches that are thicker around than my leg. I would have guessed it to be wind damage, but the damage was isolated to one tree. Strange. Finally I reached my campsite and felt much more at ease. The surrounding area was alive with the buzzing of insects and the songs of birds. I pitched my tent, got a nice fire started, and began fishing. I caught enough for a huge fish fry and then some. Pippet didn't know what he was missing, although Jill was probably spoiling him back at home with some steak leftovers. When the sun dropped behind the trees, the mood at the campsite changed. I was overcome with a general sense of anxiousness. Once again, I felt like I was being watched, and the once loud croaks of frogs and chirping insects had all gone silent. It was bizarre. I was then overwhelmed with a relentless, foul odor. It was similar to what I smelled back at the house, but this was much more severe. It smelled like damp hair, rotting meat, and sulfur. It was so strong it made me cough. Then I heard a series of tapping noises, like someone tapping a branch against a thick tree trunk. This was followed by rapid movement in the surrounding brush. Something was out there. Hey, who is that? Most animals will run away if a person shouts and screams and runs at them, so I did just that. I stood up and yelled out while running about 20 feet into the lush forest. That's when I noticed the indentations in the soft earth next to a tree. They were human-like footprints, but they were huge, gigantic. Then I heard a deep, guttural growl. It was coming from behind a nearby thicket of trees and shrubs. It could have been a bear or maybe a mountain lion. That's what I thought until I heard a high-pitched shrieking wail. It's what I would expect a great ape to sound like. I was frozen in terror, unsure of what to do. Then it charged me. I couldn't see exactly what it was. It just appeared to be an enormous shadowy figure launching toward me. I spun and ran. I could hear the creature rushing behind me. I didn't slow down when I reached the river. I jumped right in and let the rapids whisk me away from the campsite. That's when I heard the loud splash. It jumped in after me. I looked over my shoulder and could see the dark figure bobbing up and down in the water not too far behind me. I immediately tried swimming to increase the distance between me and whatever the hell that thing was. After several minutes, I looked over my shoulder to see if it was getting closer. The moon wasn't very bright on this night, but I could see well enough that it didn't appear to be behind me anymore. I managed to break free from the rapids and hauled myself to shore. 
I took shelter under a collapsed, decaying tree trunk and slept there all night fearing that if I moved around through the brush, it would hear me. That morning I woke up to the sounds of birds chirping and several flies buzzing around my head. Everything seemed normal. The forest didn't have that sense of impending doom that it did the previous night. I had no idea where I was. I walked for several hours and then luckily happened upon the trail that led from my house to the campsite. At that point, I recognized exactly where I was. I was closer to the campsite than I was my house. Now call me crazy, but I wanted to go back to the campsite and get my gear. It's hard to explain, but I felt safe. I was confident that whatever it was that was after me the previous night was gone. I, I could just sense it. When I reached the campsite, I couldn't believe my eyes. It was ransacked. My tent was torn into several pieces and was hanging high up in a tree. My sleeping bag was ripped to shreds. The large stones that I used to encircle my campfire were strewn about the area and there were huge deep claw marks high up on several of the trees. This simply confirmed to me that had I not jumped into the river and gotten away, my blood and guts would have been decorating the campsite. This episode is brought to you by Horror Quickies. If you like horror anthology books, this is for you. Over 80 tales of terror told in a true story style that will curdle your blood and send shivers down your spine. Horror Quickies, the complete series, is only $2.99 on Amazon or free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Go to Amazon.com and search for Horror Quickies, or just go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash books. Sleepwalking When I was a young girl of about 14 years old, I was known as the best babysitter in the neighborhood. I babysat for people all over town. I was high in demand, and being a shrewd business girl, I didn't come cheap. But I was worth every penny. I liked little kids and had fun playing with them, and most had early bedtime so when they went to sleep, I could veg out and watch TV. I was living the dream, I tell ya. But not all the jobs were peaches and cream, and one in particular was quite frightening. The couple I was babysitting for, the Sawyers, were new in town. I had never babysat for them before, but I was recommended by someone they knew. I would be babysitting for their son. He was eight years old. He was a cute little boy named Brandon. His blue eyes were brighter than Paul Newman's. He had fine blonde hair and adorable little dimples when he smiled. I arrived at their house at 7 p.m. His bedtime was 9. The parents were supposed to be home by 11. Seemed easy enough. 
Brandon was a nice little boy. He had a basket full of Star Wars action figures he played with for the two hours I was there before he had to be put to bed. It was a simple job, but there was one caveat. The Sawyers warned me that Brandon was a sleepwalker. They told me that if I noticed him walking around not to be alarmed, if it happened, I was simply to guide Brandon back into bed. Brandon had been asleep for an hour without a peep. I was watching a rerun of Three's Company on TV when I heard heavy breathing behind me. I spun around and let out a short yelp of fright when I saw Brandon. He was standing in his light blue pajamas staring at me. Brandon? Are you awake? He didn't respond. I'm going to put you back into bed now. I took him by the arm, led him to his bedroom, and tucked him back into his bed. That was really creepy. I went back to watching TV. It was about 30 minutes later when I heard a loud creak coming from upstairs. Brandon, is that you? I didn't get a response, so I slowly ascended the stairway to the second floor. Even though I fully expected to see Brandon up there wandering around, I still startled when I saw him. It was an eerie sight. He was sitting in the middle of the hallway, gently rocking back and forth while sucking his thumb. He was staring ahead blankly. Brandon? No response. I did as I had before and took him by the forearm. He followed my lead, stood up, and allowed me to guide him back to his bedroom. Once again, I got him into the bed. He was lying on his back and closed his eyes, so I pulled the covers up just underneath his chin. All at once, his hand jetted out from underneath the covers and grabbed my wrist. I let out a scream and his eyes flung open. He stared at me coldly and spoke in a manly voice. You're going to die in here. Immediately after saying that, he let go of my wrist and closed his eyes. I ran downstairs and waited on the front porch until the Sawyers returned home. Needless to say, I never babysat for them again. Jack Frost My name is David Doolin. I'm a retired homicide detective from Chicago. I've seen a lot of blood and guts in my day, and if I told you the amount of demented psychopaths wandering around on the streets at night, you wouldn't be able to sleep. But none of them compare to the most maniacal, sadistic, cold, evil bastard I ever encountered. Jack Frost. His real name was Jack Winters. The media parrots had a field day with his name. Notice I didn't call them media hounds. Yeah, the media nowadays doesn't have an ounce of hound dog in them. They don't track down anything. They just repeat words that others say. Thus, my nickname for them, media parrots. Anyhow, one of the parrots came up with the moniker Jack Frost, and it stuck. 
As brain-dead as these media dregs are, I figured they wouldn't be able to get past the killer's first name and was sure they'd just dig up the cliched nickname of Jack the Ripper. As unimaginative as that would have been, it actually would have been fitting due to the nature of this maniac's handiwork. Not unlike Jack the Ripper, Jack Frost targeted prostitutes. And over the span of a couple years, I lost track of the amount of prostitutes we found dead. It wasn't uncommon for hookers to show up cold and stiff. They waded through the dregs of society on a regular basis and had bad habits. Most were drug-related. As far as murders go, it was easy to write off most as deals with John's gone bad. Or a pimp making a point. But when Jack Frost left his mark, there was no mistaking it. He mutilated them. We'd find the whores in rooms. Sometimes they would be sprawled out on the bed, dissected. Their body parts would be laid neatly next to the corpse. Or sometimes they'd be strewn about the room. I guess it depended on what mood Jack Frost was in when he butchered them. Other times, we'd find the room decorated with the prostitutes' intestines. He'd string them up around the room from wall to wall, not unlike party streamers. This was one sick twist, let me tell ya. It's widely speculated that he murdered at least three dozen people during his reign of terror. Probably a lot more. It was just dumb luck that we caught him. I was assisting the Vice Squad on a completely unrelated prostitute sting operation. See, some prostitutes had a pretty nice operation going. They would lure a John back to a motel room. Once inside the room, the John would be met by two men. Those men would proceed to knock out the John and rob him. We had a pretty good idea as to who was doing this operation. We just needed to catch them in the act. So we had our men stake out the motel room that we suspected these crimes were taking place in. Well, it turns out the person they brought back to the room was Jack Frost. When we heard the disturbance from the room and kicked the door in, we expected to find the two muggers busting up the John. What we found instead was horrifying. Jack Frost had killed both of the men and the prostitute. He was in the process of dissecting the prostitute on the bed when we busted the door down. It's one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen, and believe me, I've seen a lot. The creepiest part of it all was later that night. He was being held in a private jail cell. I let the guards on duty take a break, and I stood near that cell and watched him. The only thing that kept him from launching himself at me and ripping my throat out was the thick iron bars between us. I expected him to be acting like a caged animal, perhaps pacing back and forth, frothing at the mouth and darting his eyes around like a madman. But what I experienced was the exact opposite. He sat in his cell on the bed. He was leaning back against the wall. He had his hands behind his head and... His eyes were closed. He looked so relaxed, too relaxed. I mean, he was busted. He had to know he would never see the light of day again. How could he appear to be so peaceful? Then he opened his eyes, black eyes like a doll's eyes. They didn't look human. They looked evil, pure evil. He grinned 
The son of a bitch grinned at me as though he knew something I didn't. It was at this time that he did something that haunts my nightmares to this day. He whistled. He slowly, creepily whistled the tune Jimmy Crack Corn as he closed his diabolical eyes and laid his head back comfortably. That was the only time I ever saw him face to face, thank God. He was declared to be insane and was shipped off to the Madisonville Psychiatric Hospital in Kentucky. He bided his time for years waiting for an opening, waiting for someone to screw up, waiting for his chance. I found out this morning that he escaped, leaving the bodies of two patients, two guards, and a doctor in his wake. He hasn't left much of a trace. That's not a surprise because he's smart. Real smart. Catching him won't be easy. Until then, he's out there. A true maniac on the loose. Hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Visit maniacontheloose.com, sign up for our newsletter, and I'll give you some free stuff. We'll see you soon. Very soon. Here's a super fun way to support the show. Go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash store and buy some Maniac on the Loose merchandise. Let the world know you're a listener. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, hats, mugs, there's a bunch of items to choose from. And you have a multitude of design choices, including all of my book covers. Go take a look. It's super cool. Go on. Do it. Right now. Go. ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash store.